Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Wide Men Can Jump on the Wide Men Radio Network, located at blogtalkradio.com slash widemencantjump. We're brought to you by the law offices of Stephen P. New, wowfreecam.com, and facebook.com slash makeupkennedy. You can check us out anywhere and everywhere you find podcasts. Now, for the host of your flagship program, here's Tom Robinson and Nate Bush. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Wide Men Can't Jump. It is episode 59, the last episode of 2018, and it's been a great ride. We have had so much fun this year talking hoops and doing all the things that we've done here in the Wide Men Podcasting Network. It's been a blast. And seriously, thank you all so much for making this year possible. It was the best, well, it's the first full year of the show, and it was the best so far. So we we enjoyed all of our guests, all of our fans, all, everyone for listening, the just hundreds and thousands and thousands of downloads and the appreciation, the listens, the shares, the likes, the love, all the guests all of our listeners, all the countries that download. Thank you guys so much. We hit a huge, huge milestone over this year. We can't thank you enough. We want to make next year even better. And we do want to thank our sponsors, Law Offices of Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com and wowfreecam.com. Both fantastic sponsors and recommend them highly, highly to anyone. So we do appreciate everybody. We appreciate the love. And with this episode... We are going to have a great time this evening. Can't wait to get it going. So right now, what I'm going to do is we're going to start things a little differently. We're going to go to my conversation with Jeff Garcia from the San Antonio News Channel 4, Project Spurs co-founder and Locked On Spurs podcast host. We talked San Antonio Spurs earlier today. They're playing the Nuggets tonight. And we want to get Jeff Garcia's thoughts on what's going on in San Antonio So let's go ahead and get my conversation with him. And on the other side, we'll talk some hoops. Well, joining me right now is longtime listener favorite and five-time guest here on the show, Wide Men Can't Jump, the lead Spurs digital journalist for News 4 in San Antonio, host of Locked On Spurs podcast, and Project Spurs co-founder, Jeff Garcia. Jeff, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks for having me back. I'm glad to be on, and uh, let's get right to it. Let's do it. The San Antonio Spurs in the month of December have really turned it around from December 7th oh, yeah. up until uh, tonight's ball game. We, ha- we won't have a... Uh, we won't have anything on that until tomorrow, but the with uh, tonight's ball game, they are seven and two, and they are just blowing mm-hmm. teams out. They blow out the Timberwolves, unfortunately, one twenty four to ninety eight. As I'm a Wolves <laughs> fan, they blow out the Magic, one twenty nine to ninety, one twenty three to ninety six for the Seventy Sixers, and then they're just beating teams relentlessly. The closest game they had in a win was against the Lakers on December seventh, and that was a thirteen point win. What have the Spurs done to turn this thing around, seemingly? Uh, well, you know what? Getting uh, humbled by the Chicago Bulls in San Antonio probably helped them after blowing a 20-plus lead versus Chicago of all teams. 
on the in route to a loss. But since then, what they've been doing, you can see on both ends of the court. But one thing I want to highlight is this. During this stretch of winning games for San Antonio, they haven't really have to rely on DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge too much. During this uh, recent 7-2 and two span, you're seeing guys like Marco Bellinelli, Davis Bertans, Bryn Forbes, Patty Mills, role players stepping up, alleviating some of the offensive load on DeMar and LaMarcus. So basically you're seeing a lot of balanced scoring. Add the fact, too, that they had some home cooking, let's be honest. They had a six-game home stand. So, you know, home is where the heart is. So they were able to, to really take advantage of that and go 6-1, and one, and they were just a half, a half away from making it a perfect – I'm sorry, 5-1, and one, I'm sorry, excuse me, uh, to make it a perfect 6-0 and oh, uh, thanks to a, uh, you know, a brain meltdown versus Chicago in San Antonio. You add the fact, too, that, yeah, maybe they're playing some teams that really are not up to snuff outside of the Philly win and the Laker win, but nevertheless, they're taking care of business. Now, defensively, defensively is where they really have turned it on of late. You kind of teased it a little bit. They're beating teams. Uh, they're pounding teams. I believe their plus minus right now is a plus 20 and over. So they're taking care of teams that they can take care of, such as the Orlando Magic, uh, Utah Jazz, the Clippers. They really laid waste to them. Uh, you also factor this in, too, that they're doing the little things to get Ws. And one of the biggest little things that they've been doing is knocking down free throws. Heading into tonight's contest versus Denver, uh, they're ranked second in the NBA in free throw percentage. And for a good chunk of the early season, they were ranked number one. Uh, so they're getting their throws down. They're knocking them down. And what's really amazing is that they may be hitting their free throws, but they don't really get to the free throw line as much, telling me they value that opportunity to score some buckets. You're seeing guys such as Rudy Gay, some of the veterans, step up his game. He's averaging nearly a double-double in the last few games. So all in all, it's been good for San Antonio on both ends of the court. Well, it's, it's good to see the Spurs put it together. They're a perennial playoff team every year. Yeah. And- there was a lot of doubt early on in the season with, you know, Murray's injury and, you know, the team just not really looking like the Greg Popovich team we all know. But we had a feeling they'd get it together, and they have. Now they're setting a half game back – or yeah, a half game back of eighth place in the West. All seems mm-hmm. to be going great. They got a great chance at beating Denver tonight. But um, the Spurs, let's just go through and look at some of the, the individual efforts. You mentioned uh, a minute ago – uh, Forbes, who has been mm-hmm. playing great as of late, yeah. he had 17 and four against Orlando, mm-hmm. 22 and four against Minnesota with seven assists, and he had 12, five and one against the Rockets. What has he done stepping into his role here? Undrafted, you see the Spurs do this mm-hmm. all the time. Undrafted out of, out of college, played at Michigan State, two years in the league. Now, what's he doing right that makes everything work with Greg Popovich's mm-hmm. system? He's playing within his role. Uh, he's not going above and beyond what he's asked for. You add the fact that not only is he undrafted, you know, he's cheap. You, you know, you get what you pay for, and the Spurs are getting a lot for what they're paying for a guy like Bryn Forbes. He's knocking down three-point uh, shots. Uh, he's one of the better three-point shooters for the Spurs. Uh, he actually led the team in scoring recently. I forget which game it was, but, I mean, he, it's not shocking to see him having one of the better offensive outputs. And he's playing within his knees. Look, 
you lose a guy like Kawhi Leonard, DeJounte Murray to injury, Danny Green to a trade, Kyle Anderson to free agency, the Spurs perimeter defense lost a lot on the defensive end. I give him a, a big old pat in the back. He's trying. You see him out on the court. He is trying his best to try to slow down the opposing team, and that's all you can ask from him. Uh, with minutes comes production. You're definitely seeing that. And I also want to commend the Spurs and how they brought him along. They didn't bring him into the Spurs system right away when he was a rookie. They let him groom in the G League uh, for a good season, season and a half. And then when they saw that, you know, he's reached his max in the, in, in the G League level, it was time to bring him along. They brought him on. They fit him into the system. And he's playing dynamite right now. So you really got to give him a, a, a round of applause. Now, look. Not only is he knocking down threes, he's also getting to the rim. And I think that's very underrated of his game right now. To start the season, he was one of the better uh, spurs at getting to the bucket, at to the rim. I believe it was almost like a 35 36% clip. So he's trying to get it done on, on, on both ends of the half court from the three-point line and, and the basket. All in all, you cannot um, you know say much more about Bryn Forbes. The Spurs are getting a big bang for their buck, and he's definitely producing on the offensive end and what he can do defensively. A name you brought up when we found out about the Murray industry and we we spoke on the program, uh, Mm -hmm. a name you brought up coming into the Spurs organization would be Derek White. And you kind of raised and praised him, and I never really got to see him play. Now I have. Mm Mm-hmm. This dude is playing pretty well, and his box scores are so balanced if you look at him. Five points, five mm-hmm. rebounds, five assists. Yeah. Uh, seven points, three rebounds, four assists, nine points, a rebound, six assists. Mm-hmm. This guy seems to have really found a nice role in that second team, that second unit uh, for the Spurs. How's he looked running that second unit at the point guard position? Well, he's looked okay, and – um, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's it. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of room for improvement from him. Uh, recently after a game, and forgive me, I forget which one it is, but um, he told us, uh, the media members, after the game, uh, I think it was before the game, I'm sorry, uh, somebody asked him in the media pool, you know, what happened, you know, what's going on with Derek White. And in, in paraphrasing here, he says he's coming along nicely, and I think that's the best way to sum him up, him being Popovich. That's what Pop has to say. Um, and that's the best way to describe Derek White. I think they threw him into the fire too soon, too quick. The moment he got back from injury, they put him into the starting lineup, starting point guard. I think that was a little bit too much. I think they need to just bring him along a bit. He started off hot. He had a little stretch of games where he was just non-existent. Um, even I suggested that maybe they should have sent him back to the G League for a game or two. They did not. They held on him with the parent team. And now you're seeing it. You're seeing him, as you mentioned, balance across the stat sheet from assist to scoring. He does need to improve his outside shot. It's one thing that he lacks right now, and I think that'll come. Uh, but all in all, he's young. He's promising. The Spurs lost a huge point guard, DeJounte Murray, to injury. They're getting Derek White slowly but surely along on the same page. He's not there quite yet. And I think he's realizing the G League level is not the same as the NBA level. But he, he's a nice piece, and I think moving forward, you'll see a lot more out of him. The good news is, though, tonight they will have available for the first time Lonnie Walker. He is back from the G League. He is back from injury. 
That doesn't mean he's going to play. That doesn't mean he's going to make his NBA regular season debut. He's available. Well, I think that's going to be huge for San Antonio. If he does get minutes, uh, it might be garbage time. But just to have another body out there on the wing, uh, you know, to, to bring energy, to bring that youthful athleticism to a Spurs team that occasionally does look old, it does. Um, look at the loss versus Houston. They just couldn't get it done late in the game to generate some sort of uh, offense, whether it be getting to the rim and get fouled or just attacking the rim. I think he's going to bring that to San Antonio. But it's still, it's still wait and see if Popovich is really going to let the rookie loose uh, on the NBA court. Uh, he's notorious for putting the rookies on a short leash. But we'll see if Pop loosens that leash up later tonight versus Denver. Yeah, you took the next question right out of me there. I was going to ask about yeah. Larry Walker and when we expected to see him. So that's good that we have that update there. So looking forward to seeing I I was a big Lonnie Walker fan uh, when he was yeah. in Miami. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do in the NBA. You said they look a little old sometimes, and, I'm, and I don't yes, mean to make do. this comparison, but Pau Gasol, he's really mm-hmm. struggling recently. What's going on with Gasol? Is, is the years in the league and then the Olympic ball and all the minutes he's played finally catching up with him? It, it could be. Now, look, he's been out for quite some time with injury. Um, the Spurs say it's left foot soreness, but at least for a moment, he was wearing a full boot on his left foot. Uh, so, uh, who knows? <clears throat> excuse me. What's going on with Pal? Um, the latest rumor, rumbling, excuse me, is that maybe he could make his return sometime before the end of the year. End, uh, end of the year. So sometime this week, we'll see what happens. But you gotta wonder too. Should they really rush him back? Um, he is aged. He is a veteran. You mentioned it. He has many miles on his knees. And those legs, uh, you know, I bring that up because Jakob Pertl, Jakob Pertl has been kind of an unsung hero for San Antonio in the last few games. The numbers don't, are not going to scream at you. They're not going to leap out of the page of you. But, my goodness, he is tough. He runs the pick and roll well with San Antonio in the middle. Uh, uh, he plays well off Bryn Forbes, the Bellinelli, uh, you know, the guards. And he is an excellent offensive rebounding guy. The San Antonio uh, uh, definitely capitalizes on his nearly, I believe it's almost a shade over two offensive rebounds per game. Two extra possessions for San Antonio. The big man, the young big man, uh, you know, he throws his weight around. He's not afraid to mix it up in the paint. You know, he's a banger. Uh, I think that's exactly what the Spurs need, and they will not get that from Pau Gasol. I'm not going to stand here and say the Spurs can't use Pau Gasol. There's something to be said about experience, veteran presence on that court, on the, on the bench, in the locker room. Uh, and let's face it, Jakob Pertl does not knock down threes as maybe a Pau Gasol can. But Pau Gasol, unlike uh, Pertl, is not mobile. Pertl is mobile. So I think the Spurs are happy with Jakob Pertl right now. I think they're going to ride him as much as they can, and, and you know, unless he has some sort of drop-off. But nevertheless, he's turned the corner for the Spurs. I think the Spurs uh, should continue using Pirtle more over Powell if and when Powell comes back. And let's not forget, Powell is okay coming off that bench as he did a few seasons ago in San Antonio. Yeah, and I love Pirtle. I actually thought that uh, the Spurs got a steal 
when they got him because mm-hmm. I was a big fan of his in Santa, in uh, Toronto last season. Couple more things here, Jeff, and I'll let you go. I know your time's limited. Demar Derozan, how's he fitting in mm-hmm. in San Antonio? For those that maybe haven't really been paying close attention to the Spurs, how's De- how's Derozan taken to his role in San Antonio? Oh, he's been doing well. I mean, we know what he can do offensively, and he lights it up. Uh, so, uh, but one thing to watch for as the season progresses is minutes. He's averaging well over thirty minutes per game. I think that needs to trail off. Surprisingly, he's one of the better assist slash facilitators for this Spurs team. I mean, he ranks among the tops in the roster. Uh, so he not only can he light it up, we know he can, since days in Toronto, but he's involving other guys in the system and on the court. So that's great to see out of DeMar DeRozan. Um, he's, he's, he's a fan favorite. He's really good with the media. He'll say what it is. And uh, unlike somebody else who really wasn't uh, taking a shine to the media and very quiet, uh, namely Kawhi Leonard. So it's a breath of fresh air uh, for uh, not only for the Spurs, but also for uh, DeMar DeRozan. He's playing alongside his best friend, well, one of his best friends. I know Cal Lowry's up in Canada, but uh, Rudy Gay. Uh, things are coming along, and he's also paying attention to defense. It has not been a surprise for me to see him talk more about the defensive end following games, whether it's a win or loss. So that tells me he's really focused on that end of the court more so than his offensive game. So, uh, so far so good for DeMar. Let's see how he will continue to grow within the Spurs system as the season moves on. One last thing, you know, you brought up Mm -hmm. Marcus Aldridge earlier and, you know, LaMarcus has, has looked fairly good this season, uh, in my opinion, from what I've seen. Again, I'm, I'm not as dialed in on the Spurs as you are. Right. Um, but how how's LaMarcus doing? You know, he played last season without Kawhi Leonard, so that was an adjustment. Mm-hmm. Now he's got DeMar DeRozan there, um, a little bit more st- stability here. His numbers are around what they normally are. He's averaging more rebounds per game, but his his points per game have dropped a little bit. How's Lamarcus looking this season? Uh, he's gotten uh, uh, better. Let's put it that way. Not not better in the sense of well, he's rebounding from a horrible season. No, he came off an All Star uh, year last year. Uh, I think he's finding his way with the new uh, kid in town, and that being Demar. Initially, the season did not start off well for him. He was missing shots that he normally makes. Um, his mid-range game was off. Uh, just wasn't really there. Wasn't finishing at the rim as, as good as he could. And uh, just looked kind of out of whack. And I think he was trying to defer too much to DeMar. And I think they finally found some synergy. Now, I think the biggest reason for his early stumbles was he was asked to play the five spot. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if you remember this or not, but... Uh, when he was being recruited, uh, once uh, he left uh, Portland as a free agent, the Knicks, I believe it was, had asked him, like, oh, okay, no, we're going to bring you on. You're going to play the five spot. Right away he said, no, I'm not going to play the five spot. That's not me. So now you fast forward to today, he's asked to play the five spot. And I think hmm. that threw him off. Um, so you – but but that was then. I think this is now. His numbers have been steady. Um even when he was in a quote-unquote slump for him, they weren't bad. He was still averaging a near double-double. 
It just wasn't mm-hmm. the same type of numbers it was posting last year. But no, he's he's coming along. He's gotten better, and I think um, uh, I think all things are, are smooth sailing. You know, you look at the last win, one of the recent wins uh, versus Orlando. They him and Demar were able to uh, stop play for most of the fourth quarter. I think that's great, uh, but it'll definitely need him tonight versus uh, the big man Jokic uh, and Denver. So we'll see how. He fares against some of the best bigs in the league, and starting tonight, that is the Joker. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting matchup. Looking forward to that. Well, last yeah. thing, real quick. I know you're a big wrestling fan, like myself and my co-host <laughs> are. So, little, just on a little side here, we're getting to that that time of year where I start to get a little gleam in my eyes. Royal Rumble season, my favorite event. Oh yeah. Uh, personally, do you got a favorite Royal Rumble? A favorite Royal Rumble match? Man. That is rough. I know. Oh my goodness! I oh forgive me. I forgot who it was, but I think it was the was it Rock Undertaker? No. What was the one in Madison Square Garden, or or, or at least in the North? Uh, two thousand. Two thousand. Rock Big Show. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, you broke up there. Can you say that again? Rock Big Show in uh, Madison Square I, Garden in 2000. I think that's what it is. I think that's what I'm thinking of. Why? First of all, it was Big Show. Second of yeah. all, uh, I don't think a lot of people give him a lot of credit than he gets. I think he gets overshadowed a lot. You know, at that time, he does. It, was, it, was, it was a rock. It was under, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but Big Show versus a rock, I think that was a great – it was an MSG. It was a memorable night. Uh, to see the rock – be challenged uh, by Big Show. I think it was good. And I think Big Show, he doesn't get enough credit for his showmanship, too. They just see oh, him he's, as he's a, a great physical, showman. He's a great, great showman. And well, you know The Rock, when he was in, doing his thing in, 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 uh, before he became the big actor, uh, you know, he was a yeah. showman, too. But, you know, I think Big Show doesn't really get enough credit for what he can bring with the mic and the ring, getting the crowd hyped. And but it was a classic fight. I think it will go down to one of the better ones. Uh, I don't know how this yeah, it was season a great, is stack great up. ending. It was a great ending yeah. to the Rumble that year, and you had Triple H and Cactus Jack in the street mm-hmm. fight and the tables match between the Hardys and the Dudleys. Yeah, it was a great. One. Why? Why? Why did the 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 Hardys have an issue with Dudley again? I forgot. <laughs> Back then, um, yeah. The Dud- was it just the Dudleys? Go ahead, I'm just, sorry. The Dudleys were just beating the hell out of everybody and putting them through tables, so that was kind of the issue. <laughs> That's right. I remember the, uh, I remember those uh, those, those uh, pre 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 match interviews. They were pretty interesting. But you know what? I went through a trip through memory lane the other day. Um, I was watching on YouTube some old classic uh, interviews with Mean Gene and Iron Sheik. And oh, oh my man. god, I was laughing. <laughs> I, I was like, oh my god. As a kid, you look at this, and I'm thinking, "Oh my God, yeah, Sheik is gonna get Hulk Hogan and 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 uh, Hacksaw, uh, Jim Duggan, yeah. you know." But then when I now you fast forward to today and I watch him, I'm, I start laughing. I would go, "Oh my God, this is just comedy gold." My oh, it was goodness. great. Yeah. I miss it. It was great stuff. But uh, looking forward to that. I love the Royal Rumble. It's my favorite. But yeah. Jeff, again on that little basketball aside there. Let our listeners know where they can find you at, and uh, we'll let you get back to work. I know you're a busy man. <laughs> no worries. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff G Spurs Zone. Make sure to go 
listening to the Locked On Spurs uh, for everything under the sun when it comes to the silver and black and the guys from San Antonio. And, of course, Spurs Zone, News for San Antonio, Fox 29 San Antonio. And, of course, you'll be a disservice if you don't subscribe to Wide Men Can't Jump. These guys, they oh. bring it every week. They, they young, You guys, you bring it every week. So continue the good Dude. work. Well, thank you, Jeff, and we really appreciate that. And you, along with the Orlando Magic Dailies, Philip Rossman Reich, are the only returning five-time guest. So congratulations. <laughs> you Woo-hoo! are in great, great company, my friend. So, <laughs> awesome, uh, buddy. All right. Well, thanks again, and we hope to get you back on here real soon. Yeah, talk to you later. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was my conversation with Jeff Garcia from News 4 in San Antonio, Project Spurs co-founder and the host of the Locked on Spurs podcast. Five-time guest, Philip Rossman-Reich has also been on five times with Jeff and Philip, our main guys covering Orlando and San Antonio. And we thank Jeff so much for jumping on with us and appreciate his time. Christmas games yesterday. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Christmas games last week. We will dive into those right after this from our sponsor, the Law Offices of Stephen P. New. Personal injury, automobile accidents, workplace accidents, mesothelioma, social security disability, unfair insurance practices, family law, employment discrimination, all these things and more can be helped by New Law Office. Stephen P. New will fight for you and your rights. Mr. New. What is there to do if you're in an automobile accident? When car wrecks happen, insurance is always involved. Did you know that in West Virginia, we have the highest percentage of uninsured and underinsured motorists driving on our highways? That means that when you're in a car wreck, your attorney needs to know how to work with your insurance company to maximize the compensation that you'll receive. If you've been in a car wreck, call me, Stephen P. News. For your free consultation, call 1-888-692-8084 or visit newlawoffice.com. Stephen P. New will fight for you to get you where you need to be. He's a proud sponsor of our program, and Mr. New is a stand-up national and local attorney. Stephen P. New, attorney at law, answers to your legal questions. I'm too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave me. WowFreeCam.com is the number one cam site on the internet, and they are our gracious sponsors, and we want to invite you to check them out over at WowFreeCam.com. Anything you could imagine and whatever you want is just one click away if you go to WowFreeCam.com. What's some of the things you could check out over on WowFreeCam.com? Motorboat? Play the motorboat? Yeah. You Or you could be into two chicks at the same time, man. Whatever it is that you're looking up for, WowFreeCam.com will leave you with one reaction and one reaction only. You won't want to miss out all the fun going on at WowFreeCam.com. So be sure to show them some love and go over. Hey, it's in the name. It's all free. Must be 18 or older to access the website. But make sure you get there as quick as you can to check out all the fun going on over at WowFreeCam.com. Again, must be 18 or older to visit. 
And again, a big thanks to our sponsors, WowFreeCam.com and the law offices of Stephen P. New. That's NewLawOffice.com. Well, joining me now from all the way out in the West Coast, they call it the best coast. I don't know if I agree with that. But joining me now is, of course, the one and only Lance Smith from the NBA Point Center and Daily Warriors Analysis. Lance, what's up and welcome back. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Uh, always. Well, right now it's just Guy, do. believe it or not. It's just Nate right now, as uh, my co-hosts have both been okay. tied up today. But right now it's me and okay. you, so what's going on? What's up, Nate? Uh, had a good time yesterday, got to watch the most basketball I've seen in weeks. Hope you had a good Christmas, too. How you been? Doing okay, and I got to sit down and watch uh, a few games. I love Christmas Day basketball because... For a lot of casual fans, it's their first look at hoops um, because yeah. a lot of people don't consider the NBA to start until Christmas. Now, for you and I, that's not true in any way, shape, or form. But um, for a lot of people, that's the way it is. And a lot of people watch five Christmas games because they know they're going to get marquee matchups. Before we dive into the Christmas games, I do want to ask you if you agree with me that maybe you felt – a few big name teams kind of got slided. Slided in terms of like not making a, not making it onto the Christmas schedule. Yeah, listen, I know the Knicks, and you know they're a big name team, and that and that's great. Yeah. I kind of felt like maybe the Raptors deserved it more. I think maybe the Raptors yeah. should have had a game. I think Indiana could have had a game. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody saw Denver being what Denver is, so I'll let that one slide a little bit. But I, at least Indiana and Toronto could have slid into a game somewhere. Like, you could have easily scheduled Toronto to play Milwaukee or Indiana to play Milwaukee. That would have been a fun game to have. And, you know, the the Celtics-Sixers game was, was good, and then the Thunder Rockets game was fun. Portland and Utah, oh, I- obviously – I don't know about that game. I guess the late game, you kind of have to go with that. But I don't know. What do you think? I completely agree, man. I I think it's crazy that no matter how bad the Knicks do, decade after decade, no matter how many times they blow it in their franchise, no matter how many losing seasons they have, they're always going to be the most financially valuable team and organization in the whole NBA. And that's crazy. Uh, I I do think it's time that, like, the NBA stops rewarding their huge – huge fan base uh, when the product is so bad by putting them in, you know, primetime slots as much as they do. I think Raptors bucks would have been great. I think, I mean, they're the two best teams in the East right now, and they've been arguably the two best teams in the entire NBA this season, two best winning percentages. So that's what I would have loved to see Uh, Raptors bucks. I mean, Pacers, absolutely. They're right up there at 22 and 12 and uh, playing so well right now. Um, No, I, I think you're spot on. And then at um, the Utah-Portland game, it was kind of a bust. Portland didn't quite show up. Uh, You know, I think everyone expected Portland and Utah to be a lot better, both of them this year. Portland started off really well. Um, Now they've kind of regressed to the mean, and Utah uh, is under 500 when people were pegging them as a potential Western Conference Finals team. So um, for that one, you know, it's 7.30 p.m. that's 10 30 eastern time you get, kind of got to go with some west coast action but uh yeah. i i agree i think i think people would have loved to see denver yeah i i think i think at that point 
you you have to go by what you've already got scheduled. And I understand why they pick Utah versus Denver. I get that. I totally do. Because, or excuse me, Utah versus Portland. I get that. Yeah. But the Knicks never make sense to me. It's it's like, no, look, don't. they're bad. The, the Knicks are bad. They're really bad. They're horrible. Like they're, they're so bad. They are not a good team, and I and yeah. we shouldn't just because it's New York. You could have put the Nets on. Like if you want New York that bad, put Brooklyn on. Brooklyn's better than the Knicks yeah. this season. So much and, more watchable. Yeah, they are, and they're actually a pretty fun team to watch. Yeah. I don't know. I just think the Knicks. Maybe in a couple of years, the Knicks will get there. I don't know. But let's go I, ahead I, I and dive we, in. Good. Oh, I just want to say real quick. Yeah, I mean, we knew Porzingis wasn't going to be back by now, so it's not like there was any chance that the Knicks at this point in the season would even be pretending to contend for the playoffs. So, no, I I second you there. So, go ahead. Okay, but let's go ahead and dive into, uh, since you're the Warriors man, we'll go ahead and dive into Mm -hmm. the Christmas Day games. We'll start in L.A. or in Golden State as they took on the Lakers. And, you know, I saw – uh, not the not the game that the Warriors were that we all thought, but they really looked off last night, in my opinion. I, the shooting touch was not there. They had looks. It was a fast paced game, which is what they like to play. Um, according to what I saw, Clay Clay Thompson goes two of seven from shooting. Steph Curry five of seventeen. Durant five of thirteen. Ugh, that's just an awful night. What happened? Uh, to Golden State last night. Well, I've seen I've seen two different narratives about it, and I think they're both true. So one of the things I've seen is that the Lakers uh, had a very analytic-heavy uh, game plan defensively, so they were trapping certain people in certain spots, uh, double-teaming people in certain spots, and trying to like figure out you know where where is uh, like for instance I heard that they had done some research that if you trap Clay. Uh, in a spot-up situation in the corners, he's more likely to turn it over or stagnate the offense. So stuff like that, they were they were going uh, hard in doing, prepared their own specific game plan, especially for the Warriors. Their rotations were crisp. They brought a lot of energy, and I think that's all that's all legit. But could the war? Did they clamp the Warriors? Did they lock them down? Not at all. The Warriors, you know, if the Warriors, if they had really shown up as we know them, this would have been in a perfectly easy 10-point win for them, uh, if not even better. I mean, the Warriors are just off right now, and a lot of it does start with their shooting. Clay is having arguably the worst shooting season of his career. Steph came out really hot, but uh, in the past several games, his, his shot has been mostly off by his standards. Um, the ball is not moving a ton. Um, it's not that they're isolating, but they just don't have that flow sometimes. Like, Sometimes they're not trying to play selfishly, but they just can't get into a rhythm. Uh, and I, th- I think it's often when they're um, feeling a little bit like their depth is off. Their bench hasn't been doing great for the most part. Jonas Urebko uh, was shooting lights out, and now he's been a little bit off. Um, and I, I think one of the biggest, biggest things that uh, a lot of people aren't talking about is the loss of Damian Jones, which was, I don't know, 10 days ago, Torres Peck probably out for the season. Damian Jones was absolutely holding it down. I mean, this is his first year in an NBA rotation, but um, he is a perfect, perfect, perfectly built center to play off the other four stars. 
You know, he's rim-oriented, he blocks shots, he rebounds, he rim-runs, great uh, at just being a lob finisher and throwing it down in transition. And that's all he really does, and he plays hard, and he's big and long and athletic. So um, he's a big loss because until Boogie comes back, all they've got at the center is uh, Kayvon Looney and Jordan Bell, both of whom can play center but are power forwards by trade, and neither of them bring the combination of energy and size specifically that Damian Jones, who's a seven-footer, does. Um, so they've been, they've been running a little bit thin, and uh, they, they don't have the dimension that Damian Jones brings them, and they just look pretty deflated. Uh, they, they look exhausted, and um, we, no one really knows for sure how much the whole Draymond Green, Kevin Durant uh, you know, drama is impacting them to this day. There's, there's not a consensus that things are bad or good. It's just kind of there. Um, so that's something we can speculate about. But no, the, the Warriors are a little bit off right now. Like they've 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 won seven of their last ten, but a lot of those wins have been way too close for comfort and could have easily gone the other way. And, and they just look like they're in a little bit of a funk, even if it's not terminal. And it's it's enough that a lot of people, at least on Twitter, are saying, you know, what this might be the year the Warriors don't come out of the West. And I, I don't buy into that, but. No, they're 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 off on their own accord right now as well. So I think the Christmas game the Christmas game against uh, the Lakers was the perfect storm of the Lakers being bringing their A game and the Warriors just kind of being uh, stuck and vulnerable to teams that are bringing a lot of energy. And of course, um, shooting the Lakers shooting fifty five percent from the field while the Warriors only shot forty one. You know, it kind of there's an effect there as well. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, you, you got to look at it that way, too. Yeah, Rondo's not going to be knocking down, you know, threes and sky hooks over Sean Livingston all game long like that on a regular basis. And you had Lance yeah. Stevenson with that 30-foot pull-up. I mean, no, it, it was it was a case of when it rains, it pours. Yeah, and the Warriors, uh, they're still my pick to come out of the West and win it all. Uh, I think the Warriors are one of those teams where people are going to doubt them and I don't know why. I guess because they don't, because they're not winning seventy three games. People are kind of doubting them a little bit, and I, I don't buy that. Mm-hmm. I don't see a better team out there right now, in terms of what they can do in a seven game series. But yeah. uh, to me, Golden State's still the team to beat out west. So nothing there. But I will ask you this: the the Lakers, when LeBron goes down, he's day to day with that injury. The Lakers kind of rose to the occasion. What did you think about the Lakers with LeBron going out in the third? Oh, it was so impressive. Um, I mean, let's see. They had – I was reading this Twitter thread. Twitter thread uh, it was like the Lakers have the, the most unsafe 14-point lead in NBA history. The Lakers have the most unsafe 10-point lead in NBA history. Gets all the way down to three points, still the third quarter, and it's like, okay, this is over. Uh, and, and then the Vets those wily, tacky vets that they have, they just, they just brought them back. Rondo and Lance Stevenson, the Motley crew, I, and, and their young players did not look scared. I mean, the Lakers fans should absolutely be super encouraged right now. This is, I mean, if, like for me right now, I'm picking the Lakers to come out of the West, or not come out of the West, but be in the Western Conference Finals. And um, it's, it's I, if I'm a Lakers fan, this is the most encouraged I've been. Uh, at any point, really, this season. And they're, they're still going to have some bad losses. 
uh, either, you know, winnable losses against bad teams or blowouts by good teams. Those are still going to happen down the stretch, but um, the Lakers are vastly, vastly improving by the week defensively for the most part. And uh, the fact that they were doing this without LeBron, I mean, just shows that not only do they have talent and chemistry outside LeBron, but that they as a group of people are ready to rise to the occasion. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't think they stand uh, one inkling of a chance against the Warriors in a series, but uh, Lakers fans should be super encouraged right now. I'm not that sold, but I mean, I'm, I'm impressed. I'll say that. I'm impressed. They stepped up on a big stage uh, for Christmas. They looked great doing so, but I'm still not sold on Western Conference Finals. I think the Lakers, Okay. in the preseason, I had them predicted to go less than a five seed. I'm still going to stick with that at the moment. I did say okay. Denver would finish better than Los Angeles preseason, and I'm sticking with that as well because Denver's looked great. Um, yeah. The thing with Denver that, that most people aren't talking about with them, they have such a good home court advantage, especially when oh, they yeah. get – if they can get a top four seed in the West – it's going to be difficult for anybody to win there. Jokic has turned into one of the best big men in the league, if not the best. Uh, never thought I would see that, but he did, but he has. They're going to get Isaiah Thomas back, and Isaiah Thomas is going to be a very key source for this team, and he's going to have a chip on his shoulder with a lot to prove. So, to me, I think Denver has a better chance of getting to the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors. Um, also, I'm not sleeping on Oklahoma City. I saw some things yesterday that really encouraged me for Oklahoma City, even in a loss. James Harden was just on yesterday, and James Harden was James Harden, and there was not a lot you could really do. I thought Jeremy Grant had a fantastic game. I think Jeremy Grant is an underrated player, I thought he spaced yeah. the floor well. I thought he moved without the ball well. I thought he set good screens. I thought he did everything that he needed to do. And we can go ahead and dive into this game since uh, we're kind of jumping game to game here. But I'm going to look at that Houston and Oklahoma City. I like what Grant did. Westbrook didn't have the game that I thought he would against Harden. And I don't think it was any particular reason on defense. I think it was just – he had an off game, and Paul George did not look like the Paul George that we've seen this season. So what do you think about uh, Oklahoma City? And if you want, go ahead and talk about Houston and what they did yesterday to get that big win. You know, I didn't see that whole game. I saw some of it. Um, I have a sense of what happened. Um, I mean, all right, so Oklahoma City, absolutely a major threat to, you know, make it to the West. And if the Warriors have an injury, you know, the, the, the Thunder are – are as hungry as it gets. I've been super impressed by them as well. Um, what's amazing about the Thunder is their consistency on defense right now. They have, the last, as of the last time I checked, which was like two days ago, uh, they have the best defensive rating in the NBA. Um, or I guess now they're just behind the Indiana Pacers. But they have one of the best defenses of the NBA. Uh, Paul George is out of nowhere playing the best ball of his career. Steven Adams is playing the best ball of his career. Russell Westbrook is not playing necessarily the best ball of his career, but I would say it's the most balanced because he's playing probably the best defense of his career, and um, he's actually allowing the team to have an offense outside of him. And, I mean, 
the, the fact that Paul George is emerging as an MVP candidate on a team where he's supposed to be the second guy behind Westbrook is honestly shocking. I mean, I, there, almost no one could have predicted that. So, yeah, the, the, the Thunder are absolutely legit, and um, I think Denver is legit too. Um, Houston, they're, they're the biggest wild card, I would say, because with Chris Paul down, um, their Harden is, is on a historically productive tear. And uh, he currently re- leads the NBA in offensive real plus minus so dramatically. He's first with 7.92. Damian Lillard is in second, two and a half be- points below him at 5.57. Um, I mean, what, what James Harden is doing is so unreal. And it, with the Rockets, it's going to be a question of can they defend and can their role players do their job? Um, so if the Rockets get hot at the right time, who's to say that they don't make the Western Conference Finals? And, and we're, we're, you know, I'm saying that about a team that currently is like, I don't even know if they're in the playoffs if the NBA, uh, NBA playoffs start today. So um, the Rockets should be encouraged, or sorry, the Thunder should be encouraged too, and they're playing incredible defense with their best defender, Andre Roberson, still out. So if Andre Roberson comes back uh, and is himself, you know, that's going to be a little bit less floor spacing, but their defense is going to become even more insane, and they can probably bring him off the bench, which might be the best place. And then lastly with the Thunder, you brought up Jeremy Grant. Dude, he has been a huge plus, and he's playing the best ball of his career. He's finishing around the rim. He's spacing the floor. He can defend the rim. He, I mean, he can protect the rim, but also move his feet super well with guards. And uh, when he's knocking down threes, I mean, he's kind of like uh, – he's kind of one of those under-the-radar, do-it-all athletic big men, kind of like a Pascal Siakam light um, mm-hmm. in terms of his versatility, So, uh, although not as much playmaking. So he's been huge, and I think people are going to start talking about that soon. Yeah, they will, and and one thing I do want to bring up on on a Houston right now is the seven seed. They're eighteen and fifteen. Okay, four games back. Okay, uh, the oh, West wow. is nuts. The West is insane right now. the The New Orleans <laughs> Pelicans are fourteenth. They're seven and a half back. So <laughs> just yeah. think about that for a minute. Um, the Western Conference is yeah, insane. Right. There are legitimately fourteen teams vying for eight playoff spots in the West. Yeah, it's 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 crazy, and also crazy is that the Phoenix Suns, I believe, are still farther back from the 14th seed than the 14th seed is from the one seed. <laughs> it's close because Phoenix is seven games back from 14th. Okay, okay, yeah, wow. it's close though. Yeah. It's just that's yeah, the, mind blowing. Yeah, the West is going to be a thrill. It's I mean, there's going to be five teams probably that don't make the playoffs, but are in the race until the very last minute. Um, I I think the Timberwolves are the most likely to fall out of the race, I would say, but I wouldn't bet on it. It's very, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they make the playoffs. So um, there's going to be probably 14 (laughs) teams who are in it until the last week. It's crazy. I'm I'm a Minnesota fan and – I, I I have to agree to an extent um, with what's going on there. They're winning tonight in Chicago. Okay. They're up they're they're up sixty three to thirty nine right now in Chicago. So the Wolves are not a bad team by any stretch. 
But out west, it's like every night out west, you have to play your best game. There's no mm-hmm. choice in it. You have to play your best game every single night. But we'll see. I mean, there's a long way to go. And we're going to get a better look come uh, the all-star break of what's going on. But another reason why I don't think the Lakers are going to be able to pull off a a four-seater above in the Western Conference, other than it being so close, the Oscar road trip. That's going to be tough when they have to go on that long, extended road trip because of the Oscars uh, in Staples Center. So we'll see about that and how that affects See how that affects that's them. A good uh, what is it? Oh, I, I was just saying that's a good point. Hadn't thought of that. Um, yeah. I mean, that's always tough going on the road, especially with as many young players as they have and having to leave Los Angeles for that long of a period. I'm not exactly sure how many games it's going to be, but they are usually on the road a couple of weeks, and that's tough. Yeah, and right, and right now they're 12 and 5 at home but they're under 500 on the road. So that's, that's exactly. a spot where not only could they lose some games, but they could lose some momentum too. Exactly. And that's going to affect them once that gets here. So we'll see how the Lakers can handle that. Uh, let's look at the, the Philly-Boston game. The Milwaukee-New York game, it was what it was, and I think we all expected it. You know, the Bucks are really good. That, that's what you can take away from that game. <laughs> the Bucks are really yeah. good. Um, I do want to circle back to the Knicks here for a little bit. Lance, you may actually end up being my co-host tonight, so just buckle up, man. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. I'm just going to bat you. You're not not busy for the next hour, are you? (laughs) Nope. Nope. Don't have to be. I'm not going anyway. All right, Lance, you're the co-host tonight then. Uh, We're looking at – I'm looking at the the game between Philadelphia and Boston, and that this may have been actually I'm going to say it, this was the best game of the evening, in my opinion. What a fun game this Easily. was! Yeah, and there was some great plays made on both sides by so many players. Uh, go ahead and give me your your thoughts here, Lance, on these game on this game. Go ahead and you can bounce both sides. Um, just want to hear what you thought about this one because this one was fun. Uh, yeah, well. I thought one thing I saw was a huge difference in coaching. Um, I'm, I've been a fan of Brett Brown for a while, and I think he's a better coach than some people give him credit for. But I think this might be his worst year coaching um, since they were really tanking because they've regressed defensively, and now they have two superstars and a borderline all-star point guard in Ben Simmons and they have vets who space the floor that they've surrounded them with, and they have perhaps the worst late-game execution on offense in the entire NBA. I, I don't know if there's another team, even you know, crap teams like Phoenix, who do a markedly worse job uh, just executing and, and finishing games offensively. So you know, this was a game where Joel Embiid was more or less running amok. Um, I mean, Al Horford is great, but he can't guard Joel Embiid. And uh, they had Jimmy Butler not getting the ball a whole lot, like how much he should have been, but he still finished with 24 uh, and uh, four assists. And um, Wilson Chandler, I thought was interesting how, how they only had five guys play above 24 minutes. And Wilson Chandler, who's kind of an afterthought, um, played 40 minutes and he actually showed out. He hit some big shots. Uh, He rebounded. He can box out bigger guys and, um, He's still a solid defender who uh, is pretty versatile. So 
I thought it was kind of rough to see them waste a great game by Embiid and a big game by Wilson Chandler because, you know, if, if he if he plays if he gives them fifteen and six down the stretch of the season, they're gonna be a lot tougher than expected. But um I would say to me this game highlighted uh, Philadelphia's strengths and weaknesses because Joel Embiid was so, so good, uh, especially in the first half. And, um, and, and Jimmy Butler was doing his thing, and they, they still lost. And, and the weaknesses being, you know, just role players who can, who can basically 3 and D role players um, outside of Wilson Chandler and Redick, who isn't defending anymore. So <laughs> um, it, it's, it's not a good sign yeah. for the Sixers. And when they're when their big guys show out and they lose that game, um, I mean when Kyrie's on like that, he was being defended so well and was still unstoppable. Um, Marcus Morris has been so good for the Celtics this season, um, playing arguably the best ball of his career. He gave them 23 and he rebounds and he defends. Jason Tatum does the same, um, and uh, Al Horford didn't even have a good game on either end of the floor, and the Celtics still won. Um, and their bench didn't have a great game. Uh, and they still won. So I would say uh, I would say this kind of shows where both teams are at right now. The Celtics are back to overplaying their level of talent. Um, not to say they don't have a ton of talent because they do, but they're 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 just the better coach team, and uh, they they overcome size size disadvantages. They overcome shooting slumps better than pretty much any team I've seen. Um, the way they can just miss so many good shots and then get back on defense, get a bunch of stops, and then just, like, kind of lock in on that end and allow them allow that to be the basis for them to be like, all right, we're, we're missing shots, but we're still in this, so we're going to turn it around and hit some shots. So uh, I, I think this, this game kind of showed where both teams are at, and they're close, and they're both great, um, but both the Celtics need a little bit more uh, – a little bit – they need one more top-end piece before they're going to compete – really for a championship and the Sixers need more depth and perhaps a new coach or at least uh, some revised coaching. So that, that's yeah, my takeaways from it. I agree with you on the Sixers. One thing I did notice yesterday, the lack of bench production by the Sixers was just sad. Uh, I'm looking at the, <laughs> the box score, Butler 24, Chandler 15, Embiid 34, Redick 17, Simmons 11. All right, now let's go to the bench, shall we? Korkmaz, <laughs> three. Muscola, three. McConnell, two. Shamit, five. That's it. And that's it. So we're looking at <laughs> so we're looking at 13 bench points for the game. Um, In 55 minutes. <laughs> yeah, so 101 <laughs> points. 101 points by the starters. That's, wow. That's absurd. Because if I'm doing my math right here, six and five is 11 plus two. Yeah, that's it. Now, I'm not going to dog my guy T.J. McConnell. I'm a huge T.J. McConnell fan, as is T.R. This guy played 23 minutes off the bench. Yeah, he had two points, but he had six rebounds, seven assists, a steal, a block. I mean, this guy, and he finished at plus six in the plus minus. He had the he and Cormaz wow. had the best plus minus finish for the game. He's so oh, good. Wow. He's so yeah. good at what he does, and he just brings havoc and fits on this squad. And he's a guy who is an unsung hero for Philly. Uh, Shamet, he's going to be basically McConnell light. 
just not as good as a defender. He's a better shot, but not as good as a defender. So those two guys yeah. were doing a lot of work coming off the bench. I mean, they had seven of the 13 bench points. So as, as sad as that sounds, but I think Brett Brown has way too much faith in Ben Simmons. I think mm-hmm. Ben Simmons is a good passer. He's a good rebounder. But when it comes to Simmons controlling the basketball, to me, Simmons is a four, a three or a four who can't shoot when mm-hmm. I watch him. Because I notice when Simmons gets a rebound, usually Butler's the guy bringing the ball up court now. They really want yeah. Ben off the ball because Ben is better when setting the screen and rolling. When Ben has mm-hmm. the ball, now, of course, he can get to the rim. I'm not saying he's not good at creating his own shot, getting to the basket. But when Ben has the ball and someone sets a screen, you can defend it all day. You're just going to go underneath the screen and let the roll and, and defend the roll. Because Ben Simmons is not going to shoot a jump shot. He did shoot a jump shot yesterday, and I nearly dropped every bit of Christmas dinner mm-hmm. in the floor. But... Um, <laughs> He he's not going to shoot, and to me that's a problem. You got to have this guy shooting. I don't know what it is about Philly and their ability to draft point guards who can't shoot, but boy, can they do it. Um, <laughs> and Embiid had a great game. Uh, Butler was Butler. I, I won't praise Butler ever, even though he's a, he's a good player. But I'm not going to give him any praise as a Wolves fan. <laughs> On the other side, Gordon Hayward really disappointed me yesterday. I thought Hayward would show. Uh, great comeback skills. He just was kind of there. He had five points, um, two steals. Uh, he did finish plus nine in the plus minus, but Jason Tatum has basically taken over that three spot, and he has made it his own. Oh, yeah. Finishes 23 points, 10 rebounds, has the double-double, uh, two steals, two blocks, and plus 22 in the plus minus, finishing at a game-best plus 22 uh, nobody really – the only guy close was Kyrie Irving at plus 19. Everyone else was, was kind of way back. The Celtics, to me, need to to start thinking about possibly getting rid of Jalen Brown. Not that Brown's mm-hmm. a bad player. I think Brown's a great player and a great asset. But right now, you've got too many, as they would say, too many cooks in the kitchen. You've got three three guards, basically. None of them really specialize in being a two-guard. You need to move somebody. Brown's the guy. And you need to try to make some noise somewhere and come up with a two-guard. I would have loved to have seen Avery Bradley stay with this team because I think if Avery Bradley stays with this team, this team is a championship contender. That's just my thoughts on that because this team with Avery Bradley, holy – well, let's go and say it, holy shit. How good would he make this team? Oh, yeah. I mean, when Avery Bradley was playing on the Celtics, he was playing probably the best ball of his career. He was first-team all-defense. He was There was a season where he was averaging upwards of six rebounds a game at six foot two, and, um, and he was shooting so well. Uh, I mean, he was – they had a lot of sets when Avery Bradley was around where – they would have they would have Isaiah Thomas running pick and rolls on one side, and and if it didn't get anywhere, they'd keep the ball moving, moving, and then have uh, Avery Bradley just do the same thing and give him that shot because you know he's played a ton of point guard in his life. So I love I yeah. love Avery Bradley. I loved him on the Celtics. 
He's exactly what this team needs right now, now that uh, Jalen Brown's shooting has regressed to the mean. I think the, the reason they had to trade him was um, because Marcus Morris had a couple million dollars less, and that was the difference with getting Gordon Hayward. They literally had to do it. But you're, you're right that if they're going to make a move, which they obviously need to if they actually want to win a championship, Jalen Brown is the guy to go because his trade value is, his trade value is still high because he has incredible potential and just the last year was one of the, you know, 10 best shooting guards in the league. But, no, they should if, – if now that he's out of the starting lineup and Marcus Smart is in the starting lineup, if, if they're going to move someone, it should really be Jalen Brown. He, like you said, he looks out of place playing uh, specifically shooting guard and nothing else, and they just don't have room for his lack of floor spacing when he goes into his big, big jump shooting slump. So – um, I completely yeah. agree with you there. And man, if if they had Avery Bradley instead, holy cow, they'd be they'd be great. Yeah, uh, I believe my man Tr is on with us. Tr, what's up, dude? Hey, what's happening, y'all? I just uh, still putting some miles in, but there's 31 miles to go. I don't know how good my audio is. You guys hear me? All right? Uh, you you sound pretty good, man. Right now, it's me. And uh, Lance from the Point Center has actually jumped on with me. Uh, Tim got tied up, and right now Lance and I are just kind of breaking down the Christmas games yesterday. Uh, so what's what's up, dude? What's what are you thinking about your Sixers after yesterday? We just talked about them. What's up, Tr? Uh, how you doing, Lance? Man, how you doing, buddy? Good man. Um, uh, ben Simmons is just really a, a disappointment. Um. Anytime the lights are on, his uh, – I mean, he's he's got hollow numbers in the first place, in my opinion, but they get real hollow when uh, when he's in key position. I believe he was like – you probably already went over this because this is a stat you like, but he was like minus 30 yesterday. Um, uh, when he, I actually didn't look wow. at his – let me look at his plus minus. I'll, I'll give you a, a, a 100% number. Minus 17. He yeah, did finish with a, um, a team low, team low minus seventeen, and TJ McConnell, our boy, team po, uh, team best plus six. You know what? Uh, even he seemed overwhelmed with his little assignments because Kyrie was just that good. But um, I'm sure you got a little tickle when you saw Butler d'ing up Kyrie and he still shot and scored over him. I mean, you can't play yeah. much better D. It was gorgeous. I loved every second of it. Yeah, so they got a little different identity. I, I caught the tail end of what Lance was saying about uh, about Jalen, and I, I agree he would be the one to go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Sixers with, with their current coach and personnel, they can't mess with Boston. They can't mess with Toronto. The Simmons specifically – in the two games at Toronto, had 18 turnovers when Kawhi played him. And oh he, he, he just has to put four. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he's just Mr. 6'10. He can pass. He can. He has great court vision, but he can have all that from the floor, too. And uh, when he gets a rebound, he can lead the break. They just, they just need to get, you know, maybe they don't have a viable one. I mean, I like TJ, you know that, but he's probably not. Oh, yeah. A starter, starter. Um, but I've always had, you know, the, the, towards the end of the game and uh, what have you, they always look for JJ Redick, which is 
not bad, but when you got a Jimmy Butler, you got a Joel Embiid, and they're, you know, trying to do a handoff and get JJ an open look. I mean, this is year what fourteen for JJ. He's getting up there. I know Lance. Uh, Lance made a good point. He said, you know, we're getting to that point. JJ Reddick's just kind of stopped playing defense, and you can't oh, really yeah, do he's that. Horrible. You just can't do that in the in the modern NBA. I'm going to make a point here. The modern NBA has gotten so much more defensive oriented that it's crazy. People used to talk about the NBA doesn't play defense. I defy any person to watch the games yesterday and try to tell me that Boston and Philly were not playing defense on each other because I'll slap oh, you. Yeah. Because that was one of the <laughs> best defensive games I've seen, and both teams were playing great defense. And it's such a testament to how good shot makers are today. I mean, Jimmy Butler is probably one of the 10 or 15 best perimeter defenders ever, even though, Nate, yeah. I know you won't give him any praise, and I understand that. He's probably one I'll of let the you praise him. I can't. <laughs> and, and, and meanwhile, Kyrie was lighting him up. Every shot was contested, like you were talking about. And, and it's a testament not just to how good defense is today, but the fact that teams are still putting up record amounts of points against incredible defenses. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, it's just evolved so much. Individual skill has evolved so much. Um, we, we were talking about Ben Simmons. One thing uh, I forgot to say earlier when you asked me what my thoughts on the game were was that when, when plays and sets would break down, especially late game, it was shocking how – you know, once whatever action they were trying to run didn't work out, Ben Simmons was like, all right, well, I'm just going to pick up the ball. I'm not going to make a play. I'm not going to take whoever is guarding me into the post. I, I can't really run a pick and roll. I'm just going to hand the ball off and go set a screen or something. And to me, that just proves what you guys were saying a few minutes ago, which is he needs to be spending more than half of his time at power forward, not point guard. I completely agree. I mean, uh, if he's hesitant about the jump shot, whether it be, you know, a, a lesser level of Markel fault psychological issues, uh, if he doesn't want his percentages to go down, whatever the reason may be. Uh, there was a guy in this town who was legendary who wasn't exactly, you know, it was a different era, but he wasn't exactly shooting like Steph Curry, but he managed to score a lot of points a game, and that was Dr. J. <laughs> and if you move down to the four – and Ben's proven that when he's motivated and he takes somebody to the hole, he rarely gets stopped. So mm-hmm. a similar a similar style to Julius Irving. I know that's a little bit of a throwback, and the game's a lot different. But I mean, I don't care if he shoots threes, if he scores twenty a game, as long as he's aggressive, you know. Uh, but he just, like you said, he just when the lights are on, it seems like he doesn't want to perform. He just anybody but me is his mentality. Yeah, seriously, he defers. And um, it's like he's almost given up on really just embracing that role as the primary shot creator when everything breaks down. And that's what a point guard absolutely has to be um, at any level, even at high school. That's what a point guard has to be, let alone in the NBA. Um, And, and you know, it's interesting. Giannis can't shoot much better than Ben Simmons. And he's not that much bigger or longer, but he will not be denied at the rim. He gets to the rim anytime he wants, whether or not he has any jumper whatsoever. And he's scoring the most points in the paint the NBA has seen per game since Shaquille O'Neal in his prime. There you go. Perfect example. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely is. Um, 
TR, did you get to watch a lot of games yesterday, or were you only on the your Sixers? Yeah, as I said, I'm working as we speak, and I worked Christmas Eve for uh, yeah. most most of which. So it was uh, it was kind of sleep, wake up, check out the Sixers. I did look at a little bit of uh, Portland and Utah, and the little bit I saw, I was just an all still Damian Lillard. I mean, I if 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 they were to give us Lillard for Simmons, I'd take that in a second. And some people would say I was crazy because of <laughs> the transcendent I, I, young player, the six ten point guard, and all that shit. I'd take Lillard in two seconds. If uh, if Portland offered that trade, I would check the mentality of everybody in the organization. Uh, that's just me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I did yeah, want I mean, to bring up something before we before we dive into Utah and Portland. Um, have you guys seen? I'm kind of all over the place tonight, and I apologize for that. But there's been a lot of news that I've been reading up on. Have you read the report that the Dallas Mavericks are quite possibly interested in trading Dennis Smith Jr. Have you seen oh, that? that's so bizarre. Yep, I've seen it. I think it's You've seen bizarre. it? I, yeah, it I, doesn't I've make seen any it, sense. Apparently it's legit. Yeah, because uh, I believe it was NBC Dallas reported it first from what I saw, and apparently they want Luka Doncic to be the primary ball handler. I don't understand what? that mentality. Hmm. What do you think? You know, I like either? Dennis Smith. I like Dennis Smith, but I, I, I'd i be talking out of my ass if I had a strong comment because I haven't seen Dallas much this year, so I, I really can't comment. Lance, what do you think well, on that? I, think, I know you saw it. Yeah, no, I, I saw the news. I also haven't watched a ton of Dallas. But who says that the primary ball handler has to be the point guard? It, it's, kind of, it's kind of like what we're seeing with Ben Simmons where – it's one thing to say he should be the primary ball handler. It's another thing to say, well, we got to get rid of whoever we have at point guard to make that accommodate, even though they don't really have anyone to get rid of at point guard. But you get the point. I mean, they can have Dennis Smith and, and Luka Doncic. Look how many primary ball handlers the Warriors have. They have Steph Curry, KD, who have always been prim- primary options, and Draymond Green leads the team in assists every year. So to say we have to move, someone who still is a few years away from his prime and Dennis Smith easily, but someone who is already okay and has probably all-star upside and could very potentially coexist with Luka Doncic because his jump shot will definitely get there. I mean, that's, that's absurd. And what I think it speaks to is the fact that Dallas, since they won in 2011, every single year, they don't have quite enough to compete for real playoff success, but they refuse to rebuild. So they've been mediocre. They've been going nowhere. They've been ruining the last years of Dirk Nowitzki's prime by refusing to either embrace the rebuild or figure out some way to contend. And I think this shows that. I think part of this is it's not just that they want uh, fewer guys taking the ball out of Luka's hands. And, of course, Rick Carlisle could make it so that Luka always has the ball in his hands. But I think a lot of it is they're like, you know what, Luka's good even though he's 19 Dennis Smith Jr. is five years away from being, you know, someone you want on a playoff team. So let's just be impatient and and settle for 45 wins like we have every year since 2011. That's what I think it is. I can't argue with that. Dennis Smith, um, looking at his stat line right now, 13 points a game, three rebounds, four assists, um, a steal and a half, 
but he's shooting 43% from the field this year. He's up almost 4% from his career, and his three-point shot has gotten better. He's shooting 35% from three this year. That's I don't a, that's understand. Good. That's solid. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll take that all day. I mean, I don't understand why you would want to do that to a guy who who's playing well. I mean, his field goal percentage is at 43%. Uh, last season, it was at 39. He made 28 threes so far this season. Last season, he made 106. So his percentage on three-pointers is up almost 4% or over 4%. Uh, free throw percentage is not that great. Now, I will say that. His free throw percentage has not been great. He's got 27 steals. He's already got 10 blocks in, on the season. Last year, he had wow. 18 all year. This is a point guard. So, I don't understand why it Dallas would be contemplating. Yeah, there's so much upside here. And if Dallas is looking to get rid of Dennis Smith, holy shit, there should be a line of people at the door to or at the phone to try to get a hold of Rick Carlisle and everybody in Dallas and Mark Cuban and get this kid. You got to give up something to get him. I don't care who you are, especially if you're, you know, like a Phoenix cuz Phoenix needs a point guard in a bad way or even, you know, I know oh, yeah. Philly has I know Philly has been, but could you imagine if Dennis Smith was one of the the guys that came off the bench for Philly, what he could wow. do to that second second team? I mean, there's just so much that could happen here. The Spurs. Imagine the Spurs if they got their hands on Dennis Smith with Murray going down this season. Oh, my God, the work that that kid could do under Greg Popovich. It would be scary. And him and DeJounte could eventually share the court together because DeJounte can guard one through three, and uh, Dennis Smith Jr. Can, is getting to the point where he can shoot well enough to take some possessions off the ball. So that would actually exactly. be a great fit. Exactly, and I think the Spurs, the Spurs should be calling. Go ahead. I always, uh, when I hear a talent is on the uh, possibly on the move, I always smell something funny, like he's not a good locker room guy or something of that nature. Because I just don't see the upside in getting rid of him either. Um, so something, something might be going on there. I, I'll, you know, I'll have to check. Good point check some sources and see what's going on. But whenever we talk about Dallas, the most important thing to me and the Mavericks, besides uh, background Josh Brown's opinion, is, <laughs> is, is, is Luka Doncic's mom in America and is she seen on the screen when they play national? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Remember, that, remember that tweet Andre Iguodala had? What did he say? Mom, when, when Luka got drafted, Moms ain't bad. <laughs> did he? Did he? Uh, Iggy actually went there? Yeah, he actually went there. Like, while Luca was still on the stage shaking Adam Silver's hand, he was like, Mom's not bad, or Mom's ain't bad, I remember. <laughs> wow. Good for That's Iggy, fantastic. thinking like we do. Well, boys, I'm let you go. I just wanted to check in, and uh, I'm on the road, so I got to get back to business. All right, man. Well, thanks for dropping in, talking a little bit with us. And, uh, you know, after the first of the year, TR will be back co-hosting full-time again. So, TR, thanks again. Follow him at TR Shock on Twitter. TR is the man. Hey, good talking to you, TR. All right, Lance. All right, Nate. I'll talk to you boys in a little bit. Take it easy, man. Peace. TR had a really good point there with 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I was going to say he had a really good point there um, with the potential of it being a locker room thing. Because think about it like this. Dennis Smith Jr. has always been a ball-dominant, extremely high production, very high usage uh, lead guard. And now you have Luca, who's not only taking some of his touches, he's also taking some of his shine. Because no one cares about Dennis Smith Jr. anymore now that Luca is the new big thing, and he's even younger than Dennis Smith Jr. So it kind of makes sense that maybe uh, Dennis Smith Jr., is a locker room problem or at least a low key one, but they're not trying to break that to the public because then his trade value would go down. Like if they want to move yeah. him because he's a locker room issue, that's exactly what they would say. They would say, Oh yeah, we're, we're trying to move him because we want Luca uh, to be with a less high usage point guard. So that would make a lot of sense. You know, TR always thinks that way and he always dissects, um, these issues based on, and he does. I mean, honestly, he's a guy who looks at it from a way that maybe, you know, cause you and I seem to be more by the numbers. Uh, we look into things differently than he does. He looks at things like, well, how could this guy's personality be effective or how could this guy mesh with certain people? And, you know, he makes great points that way because the NBA, while it is a lot of numbers and stats and analysis, you gotta remember, these are people. And they have to mesh. And if they don't mesh, they're not going to win championships more than likely because you have to maybe not be friends, but you have to put up with them as coworkers. So that's always yeah. a good point that TR brings. And he always brings stuff like that to the show that I would never even look at, but he knows. So that's why I love uh, having yeah, him around. He's a, he just uh, does so well with stuff up. like that. Go ahead. Oh yeah, so sorry. It cut it cut out for like ten seconds. So I it, I think you were talking the whole time, but it kept chopping out and making it sound like oh, you were okay. done. Uh, I was going to say no. That's that's cool about TR, and uh, you really need both viewpoints because how many times have you seen a coach or you know a general manager who's really known for thinking one way but doesn't think the other way? You know, like like Mark Jackson, for instance, a great great person manager who got every single member of the Golden State Warriors to play hard and change the culture. Did he have any grip of like, you know, what kind of plays lead to, you know, the most points per possession? Not at all, which is why they had a mediocre offense with Steph and Clay and all those other dudes. So, and, and then you have other guys who are super great with the numbers, but they're, if, if it's a league full of people, you're not going to have success just knowing the X's and O's and the stats yeah. uh, if, you, if you can't do both. So you really need to have people who can do both and have people who bring different viewpoints at the same time and make them coexist. So that's a good yeah, thing you have. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. And you have to, to look at it from that, that way. Um, and speaking of which, you bring up Mark Jackson, I'll go ahead and dive into another point that I wanted to bring up. You know, the Kevin Durant – uh, free agency sweepstakes is already beginning. We're not even at the all-star break, and already it's we've got rumblings, and we've got people already putting out, you know, where's Durant going to go? What's Durant going to do? Where could he end up? And I'm seeing reports of a possibility of Kevin Durant landing for the New York Knicks. Have you seen, <laughs> have you seen this update? Absolutely, and I think there's weight to it because um, his agents are in New York, I don't remember the specifics, but he has affiliations with some businesses. Um, some kind of business ties and financial interests of his are all in New York, and it's near where a lot of his family is. So, And you know if he goes to New York, he's going to a big market team uh, where 
you know, even though they've been incompetent as far as pulling good players together, um, they have money to spend. They will happily go into the luxury tax if they have something to build. And, and I think if he goes to New York, he's thinking, you know, we're probably not going to contend for a championship in the next one or two years. But after that, before he exits his prime, he's going to be the lead man on a team that could possibly assemble uh, a championship contender together. So I, I think New York, like, you know, big markets always get thrown out as potential options for uh, prime free agents. And usually it doesn't have much weight to it outside of it just being a big market. This time, I think it has weight to it. I think, uh, Kevin Durant to New York is absolutely a legit possibility, and within three years, that could be that they could be a fourth like that. Yeah, I agree with you. And you could look at Durant as as soon as I saw it, I was like, you know, this makes too much sense. Uh, mainly because, again, I've looked into Durant. Durant's one of the smartest business people in the league, and a lot of people don't know that he's actually based on his investments that he's done because he invests in a lot of startup companies. He's got a lot uh, in, of investments away from basketball. Um, he is New York's made for this guy and they bring in coach Fizdale, who is as TR likes to point out, coach Fizz is a, he's a player's coach. He's not going to harp. He's not going to be like Greg Popovich. He's not going to be a Jim Boland type. He's going to be a guy, or Boyland, excuse me. He's going to be a guy who wants to make players happy and win with, you know, the talent they have. Porzingis is hurt this season. So I'm looking, if I'm Porzingis, I'm not playing a minute this season. I don't touch the court. I stay at the house. And I think he needs to do that. Seriously, I do. I believe Porzingis. He needs to sit at the house this season. I would, if I come back, I come back the last you know week of the season and just just kind of get in shape a little bit, you know, play a little bit here, you know, restrict my minutes, give me you know fifteen twenty minutes a game, let me play a little bit just to get kind of a rhythm, and then I, you know, I take the I take the take the year off basically. New York right now is nine and twenty six. They're sixteen games behind first in the East. They are. <laughs> Five straight wow. losses. They're five and fourteen on the road. Four and twelve in Madison Square Garden. They are one and nine of their last ten games. Kevin Knox you know is a good player. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say. You know what's interesting about the Knicks? They're that bad when a lot of their pieces have been playing as well as they had hoped. Trey Burke, Emmanuel Mudiay, Tim Hardaway mm-hmm. Jr., uh, Mitch, Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox. None of them are are no showing. They're all kind of doing their thing, and they're still that bad. I've been impressed with Noah Vonley. Uh, 14 points, 14 rebounds in the loss yesterday. Go back to the game against Atlanta, 11 points, 10 rebounds, and then he had 10 rebounds against Philly. Vonley has found a place in New York. His field goal percentage is up. He's up to 38% from three. His free throw percentage is up. He's getting more assists per game, more blocks per game, more steals per game, more rebounds per game, and more points per game than his whole career in terms of statistics. Vonley has found a nice spot in New York, and nobody brings him up, but Vonley has been doing quite well. Uh, But, yeah, these players are playing good, and and honestly, they should be praised for it. Look at Tim Hardaway Jr. He's averaging almost 21 points a game this season. This guy's been yep. tearing it up. 
He had 14 yeah, and 10 against Milwaukee. Two. It's just they're missing that big piece. They are missing Porzingis. Now, imagine you get these players who are getting this valuable experience for the Knicks. You throw in an all-star like Kevin Durant. You let Knox develop another year. Porzingis, who's an all-star, comes back. You get a top five, top six pick in the draft, and you're going to add a great player coming out of college. There's no reason why the New York Knicks should not be somewhat relevant next season. No, you're spot on. You couldn't have said that any better. Um, That's exactly it. They're a mix of young talent, a great coach who's coached both young guys and old guys. Um, And, you know, like you said, he is a player's coach, a proven locker room leader who everyone gets behind. And, um, yeah, I mean, what could be better for Kevin Durant as he's getting near the end of his prime than being in a situation where he's the man and there's young guys getting better and better around him. I mean, it's basically what LeBron's doing in Los Angeles. Like, they're, they're setting themselves up to be the man but have all the help they need for years to come. It just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it, ma- it makes perfect sense. And with LeBron doing that, I think you're going to start to see another trend because LeBron starts, he's a trendsetter. He does that. Oh yeah. He brings. He started. He'll. He will, will get credit for beginning the super team, even though technically, as far as I'm concerned, the super team has been a thing for a long time. But LeBron uh-huh. will get credit for it in Miami. Um, you saw the super team trend. Players getting together to play with each other to try to win a title. Now you're going to see older players that are getting that are around LeBron's age. They're going to start doing that. They're going to start going to these big market teams where they can do investments, New York, L.A., uh, look for Chicago eventually. Once they get this Jabari Parker deal off their books, I think you'll start seeing some guys roll into Chicago with all their young pieces. You may see a free agent go there. Um, Kawhi Leonard, possibility he sticks around in Toronto with the way they're playing right now. Who knows? And Brooklyn, Brooklyn's got lots of young pieces. They're there in the city. you're going to start seeing it. There's a trend coming. And, you know, we're we're calling it now. Write it down. December 26, 2018, Lance Smith and I (laughs) both agree this is going to be a thing. So that's that's what I'm looking for. Go ahead. And it's great great for the league because what it's going to lead to is a lot of teams doing super well, um, developing their own talent and competing for titles with only, you know, two top-end top end, you know, top 15, 20 players. So that it could be the antithesis of a super team, which would be great. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you're going to see a lot of, a lot of teams go from like kind of worst to first in a way. You're not going to see these, you know, the rich get richer where, you know, okay, well, we're going to go here and maybe teams won't pull uh you won't see guys joining a golden state like, uh, Durant joining the 73 win team to get a cheap title, and I'm sorry about that, but that was it was kind of cheap to me. Uh, no offense, it was Lance, cheap. But... I'll, admit it. It, I'll admit it, it was cheap. I, I always hey. thought that even hey, listen, you you took you guys took advantage of it. If it was my team that had done it, I'd have celebrated just like you all. So I hold no exactly. grudges. If exactly. you, everybody's mad when their team doesn't do it, so that's how I look at it. Right, like as if as if these Miami Heat fans, for instance, were complaining when they got LeBron and Chris Bosh at the same time. <laughs> oh no, I didn't see not one Miami fan complain. I mean, 
Me neither. So, and, and and people, you know, I I think I think people tend to overstate how much it throws off the competitive balance of the league because you can't hold at the same time that last year that that the Warriors ruined the NBA and also that last year's Rockets were better and would have beaten them if not for X and Y injuries. So I, I think I think people overstate the the parity damage that the Warriors did because we have some of the best TV ratings of all time. We have uh, seven game series against two of the best teams of our generation with the Rockets mm-hmm. and the Warriors, and it went to seven games. And and this year. One loss to the Lakers on Christmas, and people are saying the Warriors are done. So if all that is really the case, there's only so much they could have ruined the NBA, even though I completely understand why people are still uh, you know, upset, just like I was when LeBron went to Miami. So it is what it is. Yeah, it always turns into something like that. But I think we made a pretty valid point there about what the league will start to become over the next few years. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit here. We we still got one more Christmas game to talk about, and that's the Trailblazers and the Jazz. What was your thoughts on that game? I'll be honest, I'm on the East Coast, so I watched some of it, but I didn't get a great look at the game. And, Rachel, if you're listening, I know you took a couple naps so you could stay up and look at Quinn Snyder. She made sure I knew that. So uh, <laughs> I have a fan who thinks Quinn Snyder is sexy, so, you know. But uh, what did you think of, of the, the Portland-Utah game last night? Um, it, it was kind of a dud, honestly. Like, Portland is a little bit better right now. So, you know, there is reason to believe Portland at Utah would be close. But Portland never really showed up. Um, Portland is, is in a absolute jam because – when they made it to the second round and then won 49 games, but even like two or three years ago when they first started sneaking their way back into the playoffs in the second round, they're like, all right, we have the chance to win 47 games a year and get the sixth seed every year for five years. So let's lock all (laughs) these players up and give all of them $17 million a year from Evan Turner to Alan Crabb, who they had to trade to Nurkic and CJ McCollum. I think they're paying, you know, 28 million a year for a guy who's, probably never going to make an all-star team. So I think, I think it showed that Portland is going to be stuck uh, for as long as they have this exact unit. And, and none of their guys are really coming off the books next year. I mean, Utah has an – for one, Portland doesn't really have an identity, no, no matter how long they've been together. Um, and uh, they're still messing with some of their rotations now with the same players they've had for three or four years. You know, for instance, uh, C.J. McCollum and, and uh, Damian Lillard are now playing the most minutes together per game that they've ever played, and it's not even close. Um, you know, they're staggering the minutes of guys who, like Mo Harkless and Evan Turner, who have been in that, and Alfred Okaminu and Myers Leonard, who have been in that system for three, four years, and, and they're still trying to figure things out with the same guys. And uh, when they don't, like last year, they overachieved defensively, and that's why they got the third seed. They took a team, um, and they should get all the credit for it. The, the Trailblazers, I think, were the sixth best defense or something like that without the personnel to do that, and that was great. But they still don't have a, an identity. They can only bring that level of defensive impact sometimes, and um, and they're, they're stuck. They're not going to go anywhere with the squad. Utah kind of, um, you know, they don't have much more star power but they have a relatively comparable amount of talent, but they have an identity. 
And that was really on show in the Christmas game because Utah didn't get off to any spectacular offensive start, um, but but their their whatever the word I'm looking for, their prestigious defense, their defensive prowess was on display, and they held a good offense to a rather poor offensive showing. Um, so you know, I would have liked a slightly flashier, more exciting game uh, to end Christmas Day, um, but uh, I, I think that game kind of showed where both teams are at. Um, Utah, they're trending upwards a little bit as opposed to when they were uh, well below 500 and not in the playoff picture. I, I think they're going to be fine. And, and Portland is kind of trending downwards after they got off to a really good start the first three or four weeks to the season. So, um, and, and, for all, and for all the guys that Portland is paying $10-plus million a year, their depth is still kind of an issue, which blows my mind. So I guess that would be my thoughts on that. That that game was kind of a dud. Portland is an enigma to me. They have Damian Lillard, who I think is a, you know, he's a top point guard in the league. McCollum, I'm stunned that they're still keeping him. I figured there would be some trade bait there. Then in the, the draft last season, I, I watched their draft. They take Anthony Simons, another guard. And I'm like, God, oh, yeah. I'm like, guys, you need a, a four so bad. I, I like, like honestly, I could probably go play four for Portland right now, as bad as I am. But like, you, you've got Mo Harkless and, and Alan Crabb and the guys that you've brought up. They have no real presence at the wing or at the four position. Nurkic is great, and I, I think he's a great player. And they, I think they needed to lock him in. But Al Farouk Aminu, just just guys that that are are good players, but they're not they're not getting me to the second round, third or get me to the Western Conference Finals players. You've got yeah. a superstar in Damian Lillard. You could have taken a chance in the draft last year. They took Simons, um, I believe, at twenty four. You know, let me do a little research here, really quick. I love technology at my fingertips, so we can we can oh, look yeah. at things like this. Um, yeah. So they they take they take Simons. Um, I'm, I'm almost certain it was at 24, and I'm, I'm trying to let me let me make sure here that I've I've got that right. It was 24 or 22. Um, Simons goes number 24. I was right. He goes 24 go. to. Uh, Portland, I'm sitting there watching this draft. They pass on Robert Williams from Boston Tugs. They pass on him. You know, they pass on Melvin Frazier in the second round. Uh, Kieta Bates-Diob goes in the second round. Yeah, uh, just guys that could really fill out that position that they need. Now, are they going to be better than what they have right now? Probably not. Could you take a risk there? Do you really need to draft Anthony Simons? I just don't think you do. Could they have traded up maybe? Could they have, have tried to make a move up to get Lonnie Walker from the Spurs? Or could they yeah. have tried to get you know Chandler Hutchinson, who was taking two positions before? I know the Bulls were big on him, so maybe not. Um, I'm looking at guys like Miles Bridges. They they could have maybe traded up. Mikel Bridges, who Philly was done for yeah. trading. Michael Porter Jr., who was free falling down the board. I think they could have gotten away with trading up 
and getting a young wing talent who can step in and play. I don't, or trying to get some free agent somewhere. I don't know what their cap looks like right now, but they need no a, a wing in the bad in a bad bad way. And I don't understand no. what they're doing. And I'm yeah, looking no, at you. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say no. You're you're spot on. Um, I also thought Anthony Simons was one of the weirdest, absolute weirdest picks of the draft. Um, so they had Shabazz Napier coming off the books, and he was very quietly one of the big, uh, big reasons they were so successful last year because he was really playing both sides of the ball. And um, so he's coming off the books uh, as of like you know July, and then. They're like, okay, well, let's take another combo guard who can maybe fill his place. So they take Simons, who on paper maybe can do, has some similarities uh, to Shabazz Napier. But the thing is, well, he was the dude who never played a minute of college ball. So, like, yeah. they're taking someone who, la- who was last in high school, as if that's going to fix anything. And then just to throw money at the problem, they get Seth Curry, who actually has been good but uh, he doesn't bring the same primary ball handling and defensive pressure that, um, that uh, Napier did. So what they really did was now get two guys to, to only partially fill the void of one. And I feel like that's kind of what they're trying to do. Like outside of Damian Lillard um, and CJ, they're, they're kind of doing everything by committee and, and, and locking themselves financially into those sort of money ball esque dream scenarios where, um, you know, they're hoping lots of continuity is what's going to take mediocre top-end talent to the next level, and it's just not going to happen. And, yeah, they, they, they should have gone for a power forward. I agree. They, they could have really used someone – like Alfredo Camino is a great defensive guy, and he plays a lot of power forward, but he's more of a modern power forward. He can't play – he can't, um, you know, move his feet on the perimeter and then also go defend bigger guys in the post – uh, and, and, you know, just stuff like that. That's where a guy like Robert Williams, exactly. He would have been perfect um, because he, can, he, he, he would bring mobility for their interior defense, which right now is a weakness of theirs, and he would still be able to give them a lot of uh, minutes at the floor. So, um, no, you're, you're spot on. They're kind of digging themselves into a deep hole. You brought up their salary cap situation. It is so bad. They have almost this entire roster locked in for years to come. Um, Alfaro Camino is going to be a free agent. I don't know if they're going to be able to sign him. Uh, they really needed to bring back Ed Davis. He was a huge reason for their great defense. And, uh, and, be, and because they had given so much money to like a mediocre group of uh, swingmen, they, they couldn't even give him you know, $6 million a year. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure uh, the, uh, the Nets, right? I'm pretty sure they got yeah. him for less than that. So, no, you're, you're spot on. Yeah, and, and it didn't add up to me why they did that. Uh, again, and, and I commend Terry Stotts. I think Terry Stotts is the biggest unsung hero in the league with what he can do coaching that team. He is one of the best coaches in the league, and I think he deserves oh, yeah. a Coach of the Year award eventually, but he won't get it because of the roster that he has. Um, mm-hmm. He gets so much out of so little. So much out of so little. I mean, the fact that they were a top 10, close to top five defense last year with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. And, and I mean, Nurkic is a good rim protector, 
but he's not very mobile. He can't move his feet. Um, and, and no, I mean, Terry Stotts is amazing. Uh, they're, they're doing Terry Stotts and prime Damian Lillard a disservice by being willing to settle for making the playoffs and nothing more. And, and there's nothing worse than that, in my opinion, in today's NBA. Um, I mean, there's no, there's no pride, there's no excitement in being a team that, you know, it's like, all right, we'll probably make the playoffs and maybe we'll make it to the second round. And there, there's just, there's, it's empty, it's hollow. Um, I mean, these days, it, it is the tanking era, and I'm not saying the Trailblazers should tank or should have tanked because they really shouldn't. It's amazing how quickly they turned things around and made it back to the playoffs after, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, Wesley Matthews, and Nick Batum and Robin Lopez left. Um, yeah. Whenever that was, I think 2014. It's amazing how much they turned it around, but, but the amount of $15 million a year contracts they gave to very, very average players that we've already named. I mean, that is the most, I, I think that might be the most complacent general manager work I have ever seen in my entire life, seeing a team financially commit that strongly to a group that has never and probably will never win more than 50 games. Yeah, and it, it doesn't add up to me. But looking, turning the page over to Utah, I look at the Jazz as a team who really overperformed last year, played great, don't get me wrong, played great defense. But I'm looking at him going kind of, you know, Rubio's kind of suspect on his jump shot, even though he's gotten better. I'm looking at guys like Gobert's a great rim protector. Joe Ingles is kind of hit or miss. And I really, really enjoy Donovan Mitchell. I, I love Donovan Mitchell. But the Jazz just, to me, seem like the kind of guys that are, meh, I don't know. It's just they're they're such a good defensive team, but at the same time, do do the Jazz scare me? Does this lineup of the Jazz scare me if I'm a team? This, with the way the West improved in the off season, and I'm I'm looking at at teams like you know Portland's kind of stayed the same, but uh, the Lakers got better miraculously, yep. and this is the most miraculous thing I've ever seen. The Clippers got better. Um, yeah. I didn't call that one. Did not call that one. Nope. Um, Sacramento yeah. has greatly improved. San Antonio's hitting their stride. Memphis is healthy. Dallas is better. Um, I'm just looking at teams that are really getting together. Denver is better. Does this oh, Jazz yeah. team scare me in this much improved West? Not as much because, again, defense is great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking this Jazz team for their defense. But the Jazz are not consistently scoring as much. They they don't they have two point guards right now who neither one has an outside shot. Dante Exum, Ricky Rubio. And I know from years of experience with Rubio how he is. He's not a jump shooter. Dante Exum, same way. And they really did themselves a favor trading for Kyle Corver, getting rid of Trey Burke. Jay Crowder's yes. kind of an unsung hero for this team. Great defensive team, but again, I'm for me, I'm looking at the roster. I see Rubio, I see Exum, I see Stephalosha, Georges Nyang, Donovan Mitchell, Kyle Corver, Joe Ingles, Gobert, Favors, Jay Crowder, Grayson Allen. Am I worried come playoff time, providing they're there? Not really. No. I, I mean, maybe that's just me, and I'm not trying to down the Jazz by any stretch. 
This is a very good defensive team, but so is Memphis. And Memphis is probably a better defensive team. Right now, both teams are yep. sitting outside of the top eight. They're sitting at 10 and 11, respectively. Memphis at 10, Utah at 11. So you're only as good as what you can score in this modern NBA. Yep, yep. Um, I mean, and up until the past two weeks, Utah wasn't even playing good D. Now, now they're back a top 10 defensive team. I think they're number six right now. But, it, you know, I kind of understand where they were coming from last year in making almost no noise in free agency. I understand that they were like, look, we out of absolutely nowhere made it to the second round um, for, you know, the first almost half of the season, Rudy Gobert was out that everyone knows they were 10 games below 500 and then they turned it around. And for the second half of the season, uh, they were, they were, I think they, they might've had the best net rating in all of basketball, the second half of the season. And then they did their thing in the playoffs. So that's great. And it, and, and it makes it easy to see where they're coming from in terms of why are they not making any moves from here? But the thing is, when you look at their roster, it's like what you said. How does their offense have upward potential? You know, like their, their offense is right now number 21. So they have a bottom 10 offense. Um, and, and where do they expect that to change? I mean, Donovan Mitchell, we, I, we both love Donovan Mitchell. Is he yeah. ever going to take, is he ever going to take another step and then another step after that? Like, is he ever going to be two steps above where he is now? Probably not. Rubio's peaked. Rudy, Rudy Obert is not in, is not offensively gifted, even though he's not bad. And then, I mean, when, when they have the ball in crunch time, arguably their their first option other than Donovan Mitchell is Joe Ingles. And, and even Donovan Mitchell has been way too inconsistent with his jumper, especially from three. Um, I mean, a team with Joe Ingles as their arguably second most important offensive player, they're not ever going to go anywhere. So, so yeah. this is a really telling time for Utah because it's like, are they going to play things the way Portland played things where they're like, all right, we're, we are a solid fifth seed who can maybe make it to the second round. Are they going to lock that in for the next five years or are they going to um, be willing to not, you know, are they going to be willing to take some risks in the short run to give themselves higher long run potential? So they are they're, if they didn't make another jump this year, they're not going to. Um, their, their defense is back to being great. Their offense is still subpar. So the, the Utah Jazz, they still have a window to shake things up and keep it moving and uh, give themselves some upwards mobility. But, but what they are absolutely at risk of doing is locking, I mean, because they're still fighting tooth and nail to even get into the playoff picture, like you said, they're the 11th seed. They are at yeah. risk of feeling like they have to commit too much to the big pieces they have now to ever give themselves a chance to improve, um, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, their offensive side of the floor. So um, I, I think I think Utah, what we see from them right now is what we're going to get if they don't if they don't show a willingness to shake things up. Definitely, and. Uh... Lance, I do. We're, we're running short on time, but I want to bring up one more thing, and then I will let you go, and I will close out the show. And honestly, thank you so much for jumping on and kind of taking over the co-host role tonight by complete accident. This was not planned by any stretch of the imagination. This is just 
Uh, my co-hosts both, uh, one tied up with work, one tied up with family. And I get that. It's the holiday season. So uh, I do appreciate you, though. Seriously, thank you for uh, talking oh, hoops man, with me for the past time. hour. Um, Absolutely. Last, I'm, I'm glad you invited me at the time when uh, I didn't have anywhere to be afterwards. So it worked out perfect. Awesome. Well, I want to bring up this last thing. LeBron James, um, it was mentioned the other day, LeBron James tried to go out and land big-name free agents uh, for Cleveland when he was there. But no one wanted to take him up on it. Why do you think that is? Do people really hate the city of Cleveland that much? Or does LeBron maybe have a stigma around him where it's his, his way or the highway and people are getting to where they don't really want to go play with LeBron too much? Because big-name free agents, if you've noticed, in the offseason, there were some big-name free agents who did not go play with LeBron. Um, yeah. I'm just trying, kind of wondering here. Maybe Kawhi Leonard goes. He seems interested. But most big-name free agents are kind of avoiding LeBron. Even Kevin Durant, there's kind of an if floating around. What Do you think LeBron left Cleveland because he couldn't get anybody else to come? Maybe that was the yeah. issue. What do you think? Yes. I think if he if he could have kept winning in Cleveland, I firmly believe he would have stayed there. To me, there's no doubt in my mind that if he had successfully brought, you know, the likes of one more offensive star such as Kemba Walker and some pieces to shore up their defense because they've been horrid defensively uh, since the 2017 finals, if they could have shored those things up in free agency um, through LeBron's recruiting, I am convinced he would have been happy to be there. Um, I think you're also right. Cleveland is that bad of a sports city in terms of its <laughs> reputation that I think true. it actually is safe. Say what? I said true. I'm, I live about five hours from Cleveland. I've been there quite a few times. Seen a bunch of games in the building. I, Quicken Loans Arena is a great building. But, man, you can drive by Brown Stadium. Now, this is before Baker Mayfield. You can drive by Brown Stadium and you can hear the the jeers and the crying from the crowd. <laughs> so I completely get that. Yeah, I mean they have. There's a lot of great fans in Cleveland. I'll be the first to tell you, Cleveland has some of the best sports fans in the world. But the city has. It, I mean, let's be honest. Everyone, including Cleveland, feels like they're cursed. And um, one of the biggest, biggest factors I think in the in the Cavs not being able to to sur- surround LeBron with the people he wanted to handpick is that the, the Cavs sort of front office and, um, and even from what I've heard, their operations is subpar. So we know Dan mm-hmm. Gilbert is one of the absolute most toxic owners in sports. It sounds mm-hmm. like their, fr- their front office is basically wrapped around his finger, kind of like the Garpack situation in Chicago. Um, and I remember I've heard multiple accounts of players going there and just saying that even like their facilities didn't seem professional. Like I remember, uh, remember when Luol Deng got traded there and, and he spent half a season doing God knows what in Cleveland. And, and, <laughs> and when he left. He's doing the same thing in Minnesota public. right now, so don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to do a player spotlight. <laughs> on a little aside, I'm going to do a player spotlight one day on Luol Deng's career after the Los Angeles Lakers, because I want to know what he's been doing for the past five years, because <laughs> I haven't seen his ass <laughs> play basketball, I'll tell you that. But he's still on teams. All right, sorry, go uh, ahead. 
No, that, no, that's a great aside. I see Luol Deng pop up on comment sections with a little meme of that you didn't expect to see Luol Deng in these comment sections. I see, I see those far more than I've seen him on a basketball court in the past four years. No, so, so that was completely relevant. It's so um, true. Even so when, when, he, when he left Cleveland, he was like, I don't remember the quote, but he was like, dude, it's, like, it's not even a professional atmosphere. Like, the facilities are weak. Their operations team is weak, blah, 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 blah. Like, they, they just don't even have their own internal uh, day-to-day stuff together, along with the fact that they have an infamously um, tumultuous, I guess, front office. So I think that is another big reason that they struck out on bringing anyone of any kind in any way to Cleveland to help LeBron that a lot of people aren't really talking about. So I I think it's a combination of all those factors. But the fact that, you know, this summer they didn't get Boogie, although apparently they lowballed him. They didn't get Paul George being the big one. um, And uh, Julius Randle seemed really ready to get out of there and go to a, a puzzling situation in New Orleans. Um, you know, it's it's possible that I, I mean, there's almost certainly a, a large amount of players in the NBA who don't want to play with LeBron. I do think that there's enough who do who do to where he's always going to uh, be able to have what he needs. But um, no, it, though, I think every single factor, potential factor that you brought up, I think every single one of them has some weight, and uh, all of them are uh, legitimately in the picture. Well, Lance. I appreciate the conversation tonight, and I appreciate you jumping on with us and kind of talking for the past hour, doing some co-hosting with me and talking about Christmas games and, you know, things around the league, and I really appreciate it, man, seriously. Oh, man, I had such a good time. Um, Thank you so much for having me on, man. No problem. We'll have you back real soon, and uh, you really helped me out this evening because I didn't know I was – I was going to be stuck by myself, and you just jumped in like a champion. So thank you so much, and I really appreciate you. Let our people, our listeners know where they can find Lance Smith on Twitter and elsewhere to keep up with you. All right. So uh, on Twitter, you can find me. Um, my handle is at Lance Smith TPC, TPC standing for The Point Center. Um, my website is thepointcenter.com. We are currently down uh, for prolonged maintenance because of some stupid hackers, but we'll be back up. Um, follow us on Facebook at Point Center Online. Um, and, uh, and if you're a Warriors fan or you like following the Warriors, I also run dailywarriorsanalysis.com. We've also been inactive for maintenance for a couple weeks, but uh, everything's going to be back up and running soon. So um, if nothing else, hit me up on Twitter at Lance Smith. T-P-C, and uh, I'll catch you from there. Yeah. Well, Lance, thank you so much again. I really appreciate it, and everybody go follow Lance. Show him some love. The impromptu Wide Men Can't Jump co-host tonight. Thanks, Lance. Um, I want to talk to you again. Have a happy new year, and be safe. All right. Thank you, too, Nate. Thanks for having me, man. Take care. Anytime. Anytime. Thank you, sir. For sure. And that's Lance Smith from the Point Center, DailyWarriorsAnalysis.com. Go show him some love. And we appreciate all you guys for jumping on here and listening to Wide Men Can't Jump, episode 59, as we say goodbye to 2018 and hello to 2019. We will have all the analysis, basketball, and other 
coming your way in 2019. And thank you guys for listening so much. We really appreciate you. Hope you had a good Christmas, good holiday, and we hope to have you back listening again soon. Everybody get back in rhythm once the new year begins. Thank you guys so, so much. You can follow us online at YJump on Twitter. You can follow Tim at Tileman68TR at TRShock and me at MMITM Nathan. You can also check us out on WideMenCanJump.com. Our new website is up and running. It's WideMenCanJump.com. Our show is brought to you by the law offices of Stephen P. New, WowFreeCam.com as well. We want to thank you guys for tuning in. You can check us out and download us on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, Pod Paradise, and on our website, WideMenCanJump.com and iHeartRadio. Thank you guys so much for jumping on and listening to us. And if you have anything else, you can join our Facebook group on Facebook. It's the Wide Men Can't Jump Facebook group. You can also request to be in it. We've made it from secret, and it is now a private group, but you can still request to be in, and we will add you. Uh, We'll be back with more shows, hopefully later in the week. Tim and I will hope to return, uh, and we hope you guys had a good holiday again. And I want to wish a happy 20 excuse me, happy 36th anniversary to my parents, my dad and mom. Today would have made 36 years since uh, my parents were married. My father has been gone for the past three years, but I do want to wish them a happy anniversary. So happy anniversary, mom and dad. Love you guys and hope everything goes great. So thanks again, guys, for listening. We want to keep you guys up to date. We'll be back next week with more guests, more hoops, more action. And, And now for TR, for Lance, And for Tim, I want to tell you guys good night, happy new year, and peace. Thanks for listening to this show on the Wide Men Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com slash wide men can't jump. You can download this and any other episode from our network at iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pod Paradise, Google Play, Player FM, and anywhere you find your favorite podcast. This show has been brought to you by the Law Offices of Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, facebook.com slash makeupkennedy, and wowfreecam.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at WideJump. You can follow us on Instagram at WideMenCan'tJump, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash WideMenCan'tJump. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Also, rate the show and tell us how we did. If you love us, please give us a five-star rating. Again, thanks for listening to this episode on the Wide Men Radio Network. Tune in, same time, same place, for the Wide Men Radio Network at blogtalkradio.com slash wide men can't jump. <laughs>